When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable. Bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Based on the novel by Irvin Welsh, Filth stars James McAvoy as a corrupt homicide cop. Watch it on demand on April 24th before it's in theaters. And Paulina Garcia stars in Gloria as a free-spirited woman rediscovering love, life, and heartbreak. Available on demand starting on April 29th. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The art house is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And coming up on the show, Matt gets laid off from the podcast. Wait, what? And then contemplates returning to the studio. But I live here. To take me hostage and his dog Kirby hostage as we review the new Steve Coogan comedy, Alan Partridge. I really need to start reading these scripts before we say them on the show. This is, get, get the intern in here. Get the I wish we had an actual intern. It would be really nice. (laughs) Later in the show, if I'm still here, I guess, we'll bring you Q Shots, where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered around a common theme. And in honor of Alan Partridge and Steve Coogan, the star of Alan Partridge, we thought we might take a trip through northern England, where Allison, a wildly successful critic and podcaster for BuzzFeed, would reluctantly take her frenemy, me, Matt, who is not very bright but has a remarkable gift for impressions, on a food tour of the country's best restaurants. But let's be honest, we don't have the budget for a tour of Northern England's finest restaurants. We don't even have the budget for a tour of Brooklyn's less finer pizza restaurants. So rather than traveling to England, let's just live vicariously through some of the country's best comedies. Before we do that, though, let's do opening break, which is a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable. In which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand. Allison, what's our picks this week? Well, first up, we have a really interesting film called Blue Ruin, which is available on demand on April 25th. It's written and directed by Jeremy Saulnier, uh, who has also made a film called Murder Party that made the festival rounds a few years ago. He's also a cinematographer. He uh, was a cinematographer for Putty Hill, I Used to Be Darker, among other indie films. And he approaches this story with a really kind of interesting approach to like a more visual form of storytelling. But Blue Ruin is basically a revenge story about a man named Dwight, who is played by Macon Blair, 
who also was in Murder Party. Uh, Dwight, when the film begins, is living out of a car. He's just scrounging for food and apparently is kind of like a, a wordless vagrant until news comes that uh, someone from his past has gotten out of jail and it sets him off on a path to revenge. What's interesting about this film as it unfolds is, one, he's not a particularly adept person in terms of either violence or crime in general. Mm. And so his first actions on this kind of set off a war between people he knows and this family. But also it's it's kind of a story about revenge and how revenge can just kind of cycle over and over again, which is a theme that films have tackled before, but this one makes particularly sad. I apologize for the mystery. I don't mean to scare you. You're not in any trouble. Everything's fine. You'll be fine. But honey, someone brought this by our stoop. And I just thought you should be somewhere safe when you found out. With somebody. He's going to be released. And I don't know how much you... They are missed. It's an awful thing he did to them. I'm just going to hold you here for a little while. It's, it makes... There's nothing epic about the revenge that is happening here. It just seems kind of self-destructive and like something that no one's able to extricate themselves from. And uh, Megan Blair plays Dwight as a guy who is just scared out of his mind a lot of the time, which, as you know, Matt, is how I like my action heroes to look just terrified. <laughs> it, it reminds me a little of shotgun stories. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's one that's worth looking up, and it is available on April twenty fifth. That's Blue Ruin. Uh, double second, whatever you want to say to that recommendation. I've seen it. I saw that movie at Fantastic Fest last year. It's really outstanding. If you're a fan of revenge movies, and even if you're not, I mean, I think it's I think it's, it's not just a, traditional. It's not a traditional. No, movie and I think it's sense. I think it's just very well written, well shot. Macon Blair, the actor, also, uh, is fantastic. Unusually good sound design, mm-hmm. I remember. Like, there yes. very few uh, few films appreciate... Sound how, of running water in yeah. one scene And also how important. inappropriate kind of background music that's playing in a club or on someone's, <laughs> you know, in someone's car can yes. be to how you actually feel. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's a, you know, it's not a very uh, complicated movie, but it's it's very well made. Really, yes. really recommended. So there you go. Firm two thumbs up. Absolutely. Except that's trademark. So yes. let's not do that. Two elbows up. Yes. From from us. That's Blue Ruin. Um, there are two more films that are new to On Demand. I haven't seen either yet. And I will say they both have attracted kind of mixed to negative reviews. But I am very intrigued by the people involved in both of these. The first one is Gambit which is available on demand on April 25th. This is a remake of the 1966 uh, kind of comedy heist film that starred Shirley MacLaine and Michael Caine. This one is directed by Michael Hoffman and stars Colin Firth, Cameron Diaz, Alan Rickman, and Stanley Tucci. It opened in the UK in November 20, or 2012. Never a good sign when a film has that kind of cast and sits around for two years before eventually coming out. Uh, so, uh, you know, the UK reception was not very good. However, this film is scripted by Joel and Ethan Cohen, which is really intriguing to me. I I think even if it's not a successful remake, I really do want to see what they've done with this film. So 
Uh, it's one I'm going to check out, just at least as a, as a Cohen completist. That's Gambit. It's available on April 25th. And on April 29th is uh, Black Nativity. This is a musical directed by Casey Lemons. Uh, you may remember her film Eve's Bayou, which was a terrific film. Also one that was uh, really championed by Roger Ebert. But uh, this is based on the Langston Hughes play of the same name. Uh, it came out around the holidays last year uh, and stars an ensemble cast that includes Forrest Whitaker, Angela Bassett, Tyrese Gibson, Jennifer Hudson, Mary J. Blige, uh, Vondi Curtis-Hall, and Nas. So quite a cast there and i think that just the prospect of seeing all of them together is very interesting to me so that is black nativity available april 29th i'm a lumberjack and i'm okay i sleep all night and i work all day he's a lumberjack and he's okay he sleeps all night and he works all day i cut down trees i eat my lunch i go to the lavatory on wednesday i'll go shopping and have buttered scones for tea. He cuts down trees, he eats his lunch, he goes to the lavatory. On Wednesday he goes shopping and has buttered scones for tea. He's a lumberjack and he's okay, he sits all night and he works all day. I cut down trees, I skip and jump, I like to press wildflowers. I put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. He cuts down trees, he skips and jumps, he likes to press wildflowers. He puts on women's clothing and hangs around in bars. He's a lumberjack and he's okay. All right, our topic this week for our Q shots, British comedy, which is uh, one of the broader... Uh, categories we've done on the show so it's going to be tough to make some generalizations but uh well let's let's try anyway allison why not no i <laughs> uh i mean do you consider yourself a, a fan like does, is, is some for some people i think the phrase british comedy is enough to get them in the door you know like a tv show this was a this was a popular british comedy that's enough to get some people to you know cue it up to watch it on to stream it or or maybe even to rent the movie if it's a movie is that is it enough for you no, I mean, no. I, I like British comedies, mm. some of them. You need more. Other. But yeah, I feel like as a category unto itself, it doesn't have like an instinctive appeal that, mm. I, you know, and I feel like there's a real, there's a real fandom, uh, you know, in the US of people who would describe themselves as British comedy geeks. Right. And I just don't qualify. Right. Well, I think, I think to some degree for those people, the people who would self-identify, it's probably has something to do with the exclusivity of it. You know, like uh, the same reason that somebody... 20 years ago, though not now, might be into, like, comic books or something that, you know, it, it's it's like an inherently – here, it's an inherently cult object because they're usually hard to find, even though now you can find them more on certain cable stations. Hulu is actually a place that a lot of British series that have never been picked up for television in the States have kind of found a, a home. So it's a little easier now. Maybe it's less appealing to some of these people now, but I think that – to, there's a certain uh, kind of person where that that is part of the appeal is the difficulty you know it proves your dedication that you had to you know when back in the day uh i remember going to even like uh you know comic book conventions and seeing um, british tv shows that had never been released officially in the united states you would see them on uh, vendors tables guys who sold like bootleg movies and tv shows they would have you know bootlegs of this uh you know uh, TV show or this movie that had never come out here. It was, it was, it's almost like a, a, a offshoot of that kind of culture in a certain way that it's sort of this like, 
obscure, you know, kind of unknown, strange thing. Uh, and I, I, I wonder if it, the, the opposite is the case for some people, although probably not because Americans just export their culture in an obnoxious and over-the-top way. So yeah. maybe not. I actually I, – I did – an interview once with the or like last year with the now outgoing um person who was in charge of original programming and acquiring international television for hulu okay and she said that when i kind of i was talking to her about oh do you think that people are more receptive to watching subtitled television now which is something that you never you know like even at least british comedy had certain ins and british television in general pbs you know and then right. bbc america and then other networks Sometimes on hbo yeah but uh, it was far rarer to see something from another country sure. that might require subtitles. And she said, yes. And then she also said, you know, in every other country, like sometimes these things will turn up dubbed, but off- oftentimes they'll also be just subtitled on television. Right. We like America is has a particular weird privilege of assuming that we're snobs. Yes. Subtitle our, snobs. Our, our popular culture gets exported, but that we don't import a lot of right. popular culture. Right. We just not like curious about it or ours is pretty good ours yeah. is the best good enough. Yeah. i don't know what else they've got out there but ours it's probably... gonna be better than dance moms <laughs> no way and so it said we get remakes of them right, right. yes <laughs> put some people i recognize in it exactly. have them speak my language and then maybe i'll think about it until exactly. then dance moms exactly but I, I do appreciate that there's more availability i mean i love being able to see international television and british television right. particularly on netflix on hulu right. uh it may not make the club as uh exclusive, <laughs> exclusive and cool and yeah and as difficult to belong to as it used to be but yes. it's nice to be able to see these things um and to you know enjoy them yeah it's kind of funny i guess that's a good segue into my first pick because it's a, a show it's a, a british comedy series which I remember when it came out or when it first kind of appeared in the United States, which was a year or two after it had already been on uh, the BBC, I believe, uh, it wasn't that easy to track down. And at the time, you had to watch it on DVD. And I can remember we – I don't even know who had the DVD, but it became a thing where it was like, have you seen it? Have you seen it? And we, we people were – in grad. this is when I was in grad school – trading, like, like handing the DVD around. One person had a copy – maybe even a multi-region copy from the UK and we passed it around and then and then at, at the show became a little more famous and it came out in the United States on DVD came easier to see but i can remember following it sort of the news we were sort of behind the news of it the show would air and then a year later you might see a the series of it right and now you can watch the show on netflix the entire thing it's called the office which again <laughs> yes which again is one of these shows where it wasn't even uh had to be subtitles subtitled but uh was remade in america and proved hugely popular and i think probably for most of our listeners they've probably seen some of the american office i'm not sure though at this point how many have seen the British office. I mean, I think it's a fairly well-known thing. And uh, like I said, in my peer group, like right around that grad school period, everyone was watching it. We all thought this was the most brilliant show ever. Um, but I don't know. So if you haven't seen it, it is on Netflix. And I just watched a little bit of it last night to to, to see how it holds up. And my God, it is still such a funny show. And I was sitting there uh, quoting it and, and laughing at it. And... Uh, I don't really – I mean the thing that I really was thinking when I was looking at it is 
you know, how at the time it did feel kind of revolutionary because it had this, you know, spinal tap mockumentary kind of structure, which, at the, you know, at least at, in two th- early 2000s seemed pretty novel and now has become almost the standard more than, uh, you know, the standard two camera or three camera, you know, it's a type, it's a way you shoot a sitcom, right? And when it was made, it seemed, you know, the fact that it was one camera and it was aping a documentary style and it didn't have a laugh track seemed so, you know, foreign, even though they were speaking in English, it just seemed so crazy. Uh, and, and it is kind of hard to believe in retrospect that it became a huge hit in in uh in America because it was so unique and also the thing that really struck me looking at it again was that main guy you know David Brent Ricky Gervais how wonderfully unlikable he is you know and over time they did kind of humanize him i can remember by really like so the series was two two seasons brief seasons and then like a final special like a two part special to wrap up the 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 series and I, and by the end of the, those specials they've kind of humanized him to a degree where he's gotten so pathetic that you kind of feel bad for him but god he is such a creep in those in a lot of the show and especially those first couple episodes in a way that i feel like even now you you almost can't get away with in a lot of of tv shows at least in comedies what's that popcorn ben elton funny it's all right yeah A bit of a scare earlier. Did you? I thought I found a lump. I mean, I examine myself regularly, but it's fine. Terrifying. Testicular cancer. Cancer with them old testicles. What's that? It's a bit of brie. What from down there? Yeah. See you later. I don't know. You're a bigger expert on TV than I am, Allison. I, I really want to give this show a lot of credit for the, you know, the the impact it had in a formal sense in terms of the look of television. But is Ricky Gervais, is David Brent one of the antiheroes? People talk about the age of antiheroes on television now with The Sopranos and Breaking Bad and all these shows. And uh, does does David Brent count? I mean, he's kind of an antihero. He's a horrible person. Yeah, it's hard to say because I feel like that character in comedy is something kind of is different something different but uh, certainly a lot of contemporary comedy from girls or like girls or veep say mm-hmm. like those both have characters that are deliberately often very selfish and like very self-involved narcissistic and yeah, in vain exactly but also like not really deserving of you know like completely Un, you know, misplaced narcissism. That's really the hallmark. Exactly, yeah. And something that I think Ellen Partridge has in common exactly. with this character as well. And I would say, I, I, I do wonder if there's something that's not uniquely British, but it seems like uh, that to kind of have origins there, at least I, yes. I tend to associate, especially with Ricky Gervais, who very few people allow themselves to be as like as obnoxious and just off-putting. awful and off-putting yeah. as as he is in that show and in other shows in extras I, I, yeah and, and in um so life's too short and all, a lot of these series are just 
the the comedy is agonizing and i right. do find that with the office as much as i admire it i want to watch it with my hands over my <laughs> yeah. eyes it's just i find it kind of excruciating right. as well as it's funny but that too i think i mean i think that's another way in which this show really was a trailblazer because i think that's another thing that's sort of become a very in vogue style of comedy is that like comedy of humiliation i mean yes it's interesting to me i ricky gervais has his like his public persona also plays into that a lot. I don't know, even following him on Twitter, mm. where he spends a lot of the day just like baiting uh, religious people. <laughs> right. Which, right. Just like, is that your hobby, Ricky Gervais? You're like this famous. Right. I, I, I find the, I, how The Office was translated to the U.S. an interesting thing unto itself as yeah. well. Well, they <laughs> tried to do like the exact duplicates, which is something that's been done before very unsuccessfully. And I remember watching the first season because I was such a huge fan and going, boy, this really doesn't get it. It's, you know, it's it's it, it's not quite the same thing. And I stopped watching it, and then it slowly became its own show and, right. and became a huge hit, which was very surprising to watch from a distance. And I haven't really gone back. I think I've seen only the first two seasons of The American Office. But I still hold that British show very, very close to my heart. And if you haven't seen it, even if you've seen the the American version and you feel like that's, a, you know, that's enough, go check out that, that British show, uh... There, it has some amazing, amazing episodes, and really, there's not, there's no bad ones in there either. It's it's a short series; you can binge it pretty quickly. That's the Office, the UK Office, available on Netflix. All right, for my first pick, I also chose a series and its spinoff film, and I would say it also plays a bit into that comedy of just humiliation and embarrassment, mm. except in a quieter way because this is politics, after all. Uh, the Thick of It, which is currently streaming on Hulu. You can stream the whole series. I don't think they're making any more. And so it's all there. And then In the Loop, which is the film that was made afterwards on Netflix, both from Armando Iannucci, who has go gone on to make Veep at HBO, which is very similar in terms of that documentary style, mm -hmm. uh, just kind of shot on the fly, looking very loose, no laugh track, some improv. Um, and The Thick of It is... A, a comedy that's set in the Department of Social Affairs and Citizenship, which is a fictional um, department in the British government, and is basically about... I, I, both of these are, and I, I, something that I think Armando Iannucci does so well and gets is so funny is that for all of that these are, you know, places in the government and places of power, they are also workplaces and they are right. filled with the same kind of petty it's, rivalries it's and the insecurities. Office. I mean, it is the it really office. is the yeah. office in British government. Right, except the stakes are theoretically higher. Right. Though you don't often see them. They I mean, the people, though, don't treat the stakes any higher. No, which is because everyone is like joke. so concerned about getting left out of the meeting or right. not getting the right interview or looking right. bad, you know, in the, and will do things that are not for the greater good in any way just to protect their own egos. Exactly. And uh, I, I think energy is kind of, brilliant at it and you know his great creation is malcolm tucker the character played by peter capaldi who is i don't remember his exact title but basically he's kind of the director of communications i believe and the enforcer and also is the person who gets the bulk of the profanity in extremely creative ways and peter capaldi often the new doctor who uh, on doctor who um 
Peter Capaldi often looks like he's about to, you know, have an aneurysm when he's like uh. in fury with his eyes bulging, delivering these like spitting lines at people, um, none of which I will quote on this podcast because they are all inappropriate. And also, I just can't get the rhythm rhythms down quite like he does. You know, he's got to do it. But uh, this series actually, speaking of like kind of availability, the series screened on BBC America and they bleeped it, which just seems to eliminate the entire point of of just a lot of the dialogue um so who when hulu picked it up and they actually i think co-produced the last season they put it all up profanities and all um but in the loop is the 2009 film that Armando Iannucci brought to sundance which is involves uh some of the characters mainly malcolm tucker from the series and then crossing over into the u.s and on that topic of like people being extremely petty over these rather large stakes this is basically about how um everyone accidentally agrees to a war right um based on one's ministers um accidentally saying that a war in the middle east is unforeseeable and then all of the kind of manipulations and politics that go around that. It is extremely funny. And I, I, I really recommend it. You don't need to have seen the thick of it uh, to enjoy In the Loop, though I think they're both, they go very well together. Um, but the In the Loop has, in addition to um, Peter Capaldi and uh, some other actors, Anna Klumsky, who is now in Veep, and the late, great James Gandolfini, who's really funny in this and I, you don't always get to see him in comedies and he is, is great in, in the loop. Yeah. Uh, secretary Linton Barrick asked me to let you know that his last meeting looks like it's overrunning. Uh, sends his apologies. When will he be here? I don't have that information at this moment. What the f Huh? I Did apologize. he stand me up? No, no, sir. You're, you're more than welcome to to wait. You know what I'm going to do, son? I'm going to take a nice big shit on his desk just to let him know that I was here. Is that okay with you? I don't think he'd like that too much, sir. So that's The Thick of It on Hulu and In the Loop, which is currently streaming on Netflix. And Armando Iannucci, also one of the writers and producers of Alan Partridge again. There you uh, go. One of the guys who helped create the character and was involved with him for years and years. So not a... Not uh, not too shabby, that guy. He's, he's pretty talented. He's doing all right. He's yeah. doing okay. Yeah, he's not bad. Uh, my next pick is um, is actually a film series, and it's one that I, I'm going to just confess right off the bat. I'm not an expert on, but um, fascinated by and sampled last night uh, and, and kind of really interested in and would love to have the time to really uh, look into the whole thing. It's this film series from... Uh, the 50s through the 90s, although I think most of the confined to the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It's a series called Carry On. Have you ever seen any of these movies? I've seen a lot of these you when have. I was at my grandparents' house in oh, England. Well, yes. <laughs> your, your, British, your British grandparents, uh, you're, you have a leg up on me in this, in this category. Uh, I, you know, like I was, as I was reading about it and then watching a little of them to, you know, to get a sense of them for this podcast, you know, it struck me watching them that, you know, like, We've talked about The Office and In the Loop, and there's that sort of like that strain of kind of cool British comedy that, as we said, like it can kind of be the cool kid thing to, to watch is like, oh, I'm into Monty Python. Oh, I was watching Faulty Towers. Uh, you know, like these these things where as Americans, you know, they're very hip to like. And then there's sort of like the opposite end of the spectrum where 
uh, instead of it being sort of very witty and kind of very intelligent, it can also be kind of British comedy can also be very lowbrow. Benny and Hill. That's exactly where I'm going. Yep. Benny Hill, <laughs> Mr. Bean, you know, the Rowan Atkinson, very physical stuff, which I actually love. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I loved Mr. Bean. I used to watch Benny Hill on PBS and, and channels like that. Mr. Bean, I used to watch all the time. And I, I, watching the Carry On series, it kind of felt like something that was uh, in that same vein, just very lowbrow, kind of body, kind of physical comedy. It almost reminded me also of like Mel Brooks kind of Zucker Brothers style stuff because it's basically it's uh, this 31 film series uh, between 58 and 92 mostly produced by Peter Rogers directed by Ger- uh, Ger- Gerald Thomas and uh, with the same troupe of actors appearing in movie after movie and I say they're sort of like Mel Brooks movies or Airplane because each one kind of spoofs a different topic a different genre or a different aspect of British culture uh, all with carry on as the as the first two words of the title. So carry on up the jungle, carry on doctor, carry on cowboy. The one that I watched last night is carry on Cleo from 1964. That's available for free on Amazon Prime. Any guess what that one's about, Allison? Carry on Cleo. Cleo. I give up. It's a spoof of Cleopatra. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor's Cleopatra came out in 1963, so okay. the year after. They cashed in on it uh, uh, with Carry On Cleo from 1964. So there's a bunch that are on Amazon Prime for free. Uh, Carry On Cleo, Carry On Cruising, Carry On Cowboy, Carry On Jack. But then if you really want to go really deep into this thing, there's like a dozen more at least that are on uh, Amazon, which you could rent, which you could pay for, including Carry On Up the Kyber, Carry On uh, Up the Jungle, Carry On Matron, Carry On Girls, which I'm sure – was a huge influence on Lena Dunham, I'm guessing. <laughs> carry on England, carry on at your convenience. And my personal favorite of all the titles I've seen, carry on, follow that camel. And I warn you, members of the Senate, if we allow Caesar to go on like this, the Roman Empire's finished. Yeah. Already, gentlemen, we are in a decline, and I don't have to remind you what that leads to. A fall. Oh. I'm so sorry. Did I interrupt something? Hail Caesar. Uh, likewise, I'm sure. So, I mean, there's there's not much for me to say other than I watched one of them last night and I laughed. I mean, it's pretty silly, pretty lowbrow. You know, you gotta. It's that sort of uh, comedy again, closer to a Mel Brooks than a uh, you know a, a Monty Python or or a, something a little or The Office certainly. Uh, but I'm fascinated because, you know, I only, I'd only heard about the series uh, w- because I had a friend in grad school who's, again, that grad school thing, people watching British comedy in grad school. He was, for some reason, I never really understood why, he, like, found these movies and just started watching all of them. He was renting them one after the other from uh, the video store on tape, I think, back then. Uh, but I never watched any of them with him, and, and I've, I've never seen any of them until last night. And I'm it's fascinating that the series – I think it's the most – uh, like the, the the British series, film series, with the most entries in, in history, even more than Bond. You know, it's like 31 to 21, uh, 23, I guess, at this point for Bond. Uh, but just hugely successful for decades and basically completely unknown in the U.S. But, but it is available. That's the thing. You could check it out. So if you're in the mood for something silly, not too serious – uh, the one I watched was Carry On Cleo, and again, there's a whole bunch available on Amazon Prime and even more that you can rent uh, just for uh, rent on Amazon. 
All right. For my second pick, I'm also picking an older comedy. It is available for rent on iTunes. And I only just saw this for the first time recently, and I'm really glad I did. It's Kind Hearts and Coronets, the 1949 comedy, an Ewing comedy, uh, directed by Robert Hammer and featuring Alec Guinness in eight roles uh, alongside Dennis Price and Valerie Hobson and Joan Greenwood. And it's basically an extremely polite film about murder. It's uh, Dennis Price plays uh, Louis Mazzini, who is a poor relation uh, to this uh, uh, aristocratic family, basically because his mother married an opera singer, married for love. She was cast out of the family. So he's far on down the line um, to be the Duke. And he decides after his mother dies uh, and he has to bury her in a, a tacky suburban grave, he decides he swears revenge and he's going to murder his way up to being the Duke. And he does this uh, quite methodically and really quite elegantly. It's uh, There's um, just a humor in the way he approaches, say, tracking down one of his relatives as he's off with his mistress boating and arranging for them to get swept over uh, a waterfall or cliff. And, um, or uh, another one who is a parson who he poisons while he's getting trashed. And uh, every time it, it, you know, kind of he slowly moves up and seems not at all bothered by the fact that he is murdering his way into the aristocracy. Um, and, uh, uh, the character gets some great, just like uh, some wonderful lines that are kind of under deliver what he's talking about. In the case of the the Parsons, he, or the Parson, he says, uh, the Reverend Lord Henry was not one of those newfangled Parsons who carry the principles of their vocation uncomfortably into private life. Um, and the fact that Guinness plays basically the entire family that is murdered, including one female character, makes it all the funnier and also, you know, blunts a little bit of the idea of what this guy is doing. Uh, given that all of these characters are ridiculous in their own way, they're all stuffy for the most part. They're all incredibly buried in their own relative niches, whether that be uh, the Navy or, um, you know, just in general aristocracy or, you know, for the reverends, um, his kind of like religious life. Uh, they're all completely oblivious and in a lot of ways you definitely well you definitely root for him as he goes along but they're just these kind of intolerable old fossils so you kind of feel like he deserves the to be the duke even um at least he's going to enjoy it more the more i thought of them these people whom i had studied until i knew their names and histories as well as i knew my own the more they became monsters of arrogance and cruelty whose only function in the world was to deprive me of my birthright. I had seen Chalfant only as Mama had painted it. To pass in through that magnificent gateway on visitor's day at a cost of sixpence was a humiliating experience, but I forced myself to undergo it. I wanted a closer view of the target at which I had determined to aim. So it's... Uh... It's a terrific film and just one that, I don't know, has like such a kind of like great silky center performance in terms of 
a comedy antihero who is uh, uh, just one you really want to see succeed. And uh, there's a, there's a nice frame story as well in which he is when the film begins, he's going to be executed for murder. So uh, he, these are all his memoirs as he writes down his grand life story, which is certainly worth taking in. That's Kind Hearts and Coronets, which is available for rent on iTunes. Okay. Now, are you on any medication? Uh, just some cream. Uh, I've got very aggressive athlete's foot, but that's the only thing about me that is. And do you suffer from any nervous conditions such as panic attacks? <laughs> I look like I suffer from panic attacks. I've had one panic attack in a car wash. It was a perfect storm of no sleep, uh, no wife, and angry brushes whirring towards me. Um, by the time the giant hairdryer came on, I was in the footwell. Does the idea of weaponry trouble you? No, oh, no, I've fired several rifles. I've fun fairs and won prizes, but I've never fired one in anger uh, or at a cat. All right, it's time for our Listener's Choice Review, chosen by you, the listeners, when you email us or vote at filmspottingsvu.com. On our last episode, we gave you three options from recent films that were just added for rental around the web. Uh, The found footage vampire movie Afflicted, the Steve Coogan comedy Alan Partridge, and the Keanu Reeves trainwreck 47 Ronin. And uh, frankly, Allison, I thought, because we have so many listeners who email us telling us how much they love bad movies recommending bad movies to us i thought we would be stuck watching 47 Ronin. i was excited to watch 47 Ronin. i was a little excited too but it didn't happen uh alan partridge was the winner with 38 percent of the vote the film directed by declan Lowney, follows coogan's self-absorbed radio dj alan partridge who is fighting to keep his job after his station is bought out by a massive media conglomerate And faced with the realization that his new bosses are considering firing either him or his fellow jock, Pat Farrell, played by Star Trek Deep Space Nine's Cole Meany, Uh, he sells his co-worker out without hesitation. And this becomes an issue after uh, the new management fires Pat, and then Pat basically goes postal. He returns to the radio station at a party with a shotgun. So in the United States, this film has been released under the simple title of Alan Partridge. But in the U.K., it's known as Alan Partridge Alpha Papa. Because while this is the character's first movie, Steve Coogan has actually been playing Alan Partridge on TV and on radio for more than two decades. So my questions to you, Allison, are how much of Steve Coogan's earlier Alan Partridge work have you seen and either how does this film compare to it, how does it rate with it, or if you haven't seen any of it, how does this movie stand alone and work for you as a uh, as a Partridge newbie? That's an interesting question. I have seen some of, and now I'm trying to remember what the context was, but some of the talk show he did. Knowing Me, knowing, knowing You. Knowing You, yeah. yes. I've seen a few episodes of that, which I liked a lot. Okay. I thought it was it was just so... Yes, clever, basically, um, and I think that's my main my my main exposure to Alan Partridge. I thought that I I really love the character. I think it just kind of plays into Steve Coogan's strengths in general, which is this kind of uh, oblivious vanity, um, <laughs> and beneath it, this tragic sense of slight self awareness that things are always kind of getting away from you, and they are always getting a little left behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that the character really epitomizes those two so well. Um, 
the knowing me knowing you from what i remember was a lot less of the latter quality and i thought the film certainly played more into that um you know at this point in partridge's career he's been demoted from tv personality to this kind of lesser radio jockey on the station where they're they're skewing younger they're trying to skew younger and uh, you know the reason that these two those two are up for getting fired is because they're both have the oldest audience and are doing the most old school kind of radio right and that sadness of just understanding that your time is passing and that no one's interested in what you're doing anymore is certainly underlying this in a way that i liked it did feel more a little bigger and maybe a little softer than the show does mm -hmm. to me, but uh, it didn't bother me too much. I, I think like what I liked best was how it ended when it kind of got to the conclusions. Mm -hmm. Like I, I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. But what about you? I'd ask you the same question. Well, I I think I've seen a little bit of the uh, I'm Alan Partridge, which was like the sitcom that came after that talk show. Just a little bit. Uh, I you know uh, again around, around that grad school period or when I was working at a video store just after that and we had again like some bootlegs I don't think they were available at the time in the US and I I you know I just took some of the bootlegs out I don't really remember uh, much about them uh so I fairly you know fairly uh, Alan Partridge newbie um and I actually really enjoyed the film and felt that you didn't have to know anything about the character to enjoy the movie. I think the movie does a very admirable job of standing alone. And, you know, they, they did give it the subtitle in the UK, but, uh, you know, you could just call it Alan Partridge. And if you didn't know, you might not know that the character has this long backstory and you wouldn't be longing to see these other things. And I give it some credit for that. Uh, there, you know, we just had the Veronica Mars movie come out in the U.S. just a month or two ago, and that was a, a show that I, I hadn't watched either. But I watched the movie, and I could appreciate to a certain extent that, uh, you know, like the, the movie exists and the fans made it happen, and it was made for the fans. And I think to a certain extent that's fantastic. You know, like I uh, – the, the movie doesn't need to be made for me. I didn't watch the show. I don't need to really see the movie. I really watched it more out of professional curiosity than anything else. But I was impressed with the way that this, this movie was – you know, you didn't have to know anything about the character and you could completely enjoy this. And I was looking afterwards and I didn't even realize, like, some of these characters are from the sitcom. Some of them aren't. And it's you can't really tell in the Veronica Mars movie. On the other hand, it was pretty obvious who was an older character and also the you know, just how much of it was, you know, fan service and recurring jokes and, and bringing stuff back. And I'm sure there's stuff in here that are recurring jokes or callbacks that I don't get. But I was laughing so much that I I didn't really didn't really bother me at all actually, and I thought uh, I thought it was really funny, and and I agree with you also that it it touches on a lot of that stuff that I love so much about some of those other Steve Coogan movies that I've seen with Michael Winterbottom, particularly The Trip, which I guess is also a TV show too. It's complicated, but uh, I mean a lot of those those movies or shows what's so good about them is the melancholy that goes into that Coogan character of this guy. I mean, they're always very much about this guy who's getting older, who's not happy how his career is going or who feels his career slipping away. And even though Alan is a kind of more ridiculous character and less kind of overtly sad, there's this very clear sort of subtext of, of, of desperation to everything he does, which I, I think really 
only enhances the comedy because it comes from this very kind of personal place. Uh, so I like that about it a lot. I, you know, I, I was a little wary. I had I, maybe because of the Veronica Mars movie, but I like this a lot. I would recommend it. And again, I would recommend it to anyone who's just looking for a good comedy. You don't have to be a, an Alan Partridge fan to enjoy it. Yeah. I, and I think that it also, I was more wary of the idea of it as a hostage situation, which I feel yes. is, has been done kind of, uh, well, this exact movie has been done. I don't know if you remember the movie airheads. I've never seen Air. Oh, you're a lucky woman. I mean, <laughs> this is really one of the dregs of sort of the mid '90s, uh, you know, comedies. I remember watching this movie. Must have been on HBO six hundred thousand times when we were uh, growing up, and I, I would just I, as watch as much of it as I could stand because apparently I was just that lonely and bored of a child <laughs> that I had nothing better to do. This was before Netflix and before Hulu and before DVR. Before remember? the on-demand lifestyle, right? You kind of had to watch what they were giving you. So Airheads was about a a band. The band members were played by Brendan Fraser, Adam Sandler, and Steve Buscemi. I can kind of remember yes. the VHS, like yeah. <laughs> The three of them on the cover, right? And they like they like hold a radio uh, station hostage to get their music played on the air. I think the DJ is Joe Montaigne, and the evil station manager character is Michael McKean. So it's slightly different in that it's not like a employee or former employee of the radio station, but it's basically the same thing. And like you know, a hostage situation forms, the cops show up, the crowds gather around, and people, you know, the the people become media celebrities as a result. It's very similar. The difference is Airheads is a terrible movie. And actually, as I sort of fully grasped where this movie was going, I was like, oh, no, this is Airheads. And I was really worried about that. And I have to give Alan Partridge a huge amount of credit for kind of making, uh, making that topic funny. I mean hostage situations can also be kind of dark that's the other thing is like it, i think for some reason that's something that people think are can be funny and it so rarely is because it can can get very dark i mean there's some jokes in this about uh one of the poor uh, employees uh colmini gives him this like yes. uh, uh duct tape uh, helmet <laughs> with, with a, a handle. handle for his shotgun which is yes. so dark <laughs> and like there there's this whole segment where they're doing this kind of on-air uh repartee alan partridge and the colmini character and and I think uh, uh, Coogan says something like, "You forget that the that the uh, the gun is even there after a while." And the guy who's got the gun to his head is like, "No, no. you don't." <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also the what I love about this is it, it, in terms of what it did with the hostage situation mm. is that you know with something like Airheads, I'm assuming there's this triumph the, the triumphant moment of being like, and our music got out there and all right. that. And sure. really, what. Uh, what Steve Coogan's character, Alan Partridge, is trying to hold on to is just a terrible form of talk radio, you right. know, like where people call in and just say, like, I don't like it when people park outside my house and like, you know, um, and then he plays like some easy listening rock or something and plays, right. you know, like it's it, there's not any integrity to begin with. Right. And what's also great, too, is that he is so desperate for any sort of attention that he has no vested interest in ending the hostage situation. He's actually wants it to keep going because it keeps his name on national television again. He's suddenly he's relevant again. Yeah. So you have the guy who is ostensibly the the go between between the hostage taker and the police is like actively working against you know the solution, the resolution of the problem because that's what's best for him. And I loved how. 
you know, again, getting back to sort of the David Brent thing, it's like, how many movies do we get to see where the hero is not a hero at all? It's just spineless and selfish and narcissistic and vain and doesn't really learn much over the course of the movie. I love that about this because we get spoon fed so many traditional characters with traditional arcs, the hero's journey, and that can be satisfying when it's done well. But I found it very refreshing to meet this character who is He's kind of likable in his because he's so sad and pathetic, but is a jerk. He's narcissistic. He is self-obsessed. He, he sells out his friend immediately, yeah, immediately. with no hesitation. Yes. As I said in the intro, he completely sells this guy out who thinks he's his friend and does some horrible things in this movie. And 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 it the movie is not about his redemption. And thank God for that, because uh, the movie that, you know, a movie about the redemption of Alan Partridge would have been horrible. And I I really enjoyed that this movie, with very few exceptions, does not try to make him into a good guy. Yeah. You know, and Alan Partridge, he's what, in his 50s, I think. Uh, He's not going to change that much. He is who he is. Right. At this point, you know. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah. Like, he, he changes maybe a little bit. With regard to like where he ends up, sure, even that, and a little bit is fine. Is that that's enough? That's as much as you can hope for, really. Right. In a realistic world, <laughs> people change right. maybe a little bit, and that's good. That uh, it does. It also uh, Steve Coogan gets in a lot of great bits of physical humor mm. here. We did. I mean, it's it's not directly related to him, but the whole thing about the handle, uh, the kind of just like that's a it's a great visual bit. Mm-hmm. There's a whole other part where. He tries to get back in the, the building, yes, which yes. is amazing. Yep, that's a great and just sequence. The whole sequence of how it happens and and the very idea that he needs to break back into yeah. the building with the hostages. Yeah, um, Kukin is a well-rounded guy. I don't, yes. you know, I don't think he sh- gets to show off enough of that physical side in in you know the Winterbottom movies, which are a little more kind of you know intellectual and and verbal and They're, verbal yes. exactly and a lot of people sitting around at tables over you know food discussing things and doing impressions which are fantastic but yeah you really get to appreciate how well-rounded of a comedian he is he, he's you know he's got these great verbal skills but he can also f- do a pratfall with surprising uh, uh, dexterity and uh, lack of shame, which are both very important when you're doing Brad Falls. It's an amazing lack of shame, yeah. really. And, and and it's also a quotable movie, too. I mean, I feel like this is a movie, I, you know, like if this had come out when I was in uh, high school, if this was playing on HBO 100 times instead of Airheads, I would have watched this movie over and over again and uh, and just just ate it up and started quoting it and, and doing Alan Partridge and, and, and having a grand old time. It kind of reminded me actually of some of those movies from that period, almost like a Saturday night live movie, you know, where you take a character who's got this kind of existing persona and you could tell Coogan just innately just is like, is in this guy. He just gets it. He knows how to do it in his sleep. He could do it and put that character in a slightly bigger situation. You know, it's a hostage situation, all that stuff. But basically it's about, giving this character a bigger showcase and and uh, kind of doing some of the stuff maybe you couldn't do on a, a smaller scale on a budget on a TV show that because they just didn't have the time or the resources yeah. and you get it to, to do them here but it's still really quotable and very very watchable so give me a line what is your favorite oh I don't don't, you know, don't put one. me on a spot right. yeah I don't I, I, I liked when uh, I'm, I'm as, trying as, to as, actually not do any bad impressions okay, on this good. episode I did like when there's like one just like a random one off when the, a police officer is like identify yourself and he's kind of angry that he's being, he's like I'm Alan Partridge you know <laughs> I've you, I haven't been off the television for that long <laughs> like identify yourself 
um, which is a particular, just like kind of tip typical misread of all the situation. I think the one that uh, the one that I liked the most that I could see myself quoting would be the one where he's talking to someone and he makes a terrible joke. And she just doesn't respond. And he says something like, I'm just joking. Enjoy me. <laughs> Which would, is really a very applicable phrase to my life because I make a lot of terrible jokes that no one laughs at. And I can just see myself uh, when someone doesn't laugh the next time just saying, enjoy me. Uh, I feel like I relate more to when he always goes like, happy times. And then the person finishes their anecdote by saying like, you know, right. to scatter my dad's ashes or right. something. Yeah, that's a very office <laughs> thing where he, he puts his he puts his foot in his mouth quite a bit, quite yeah. a bit. Always to a pretty good uh, comedic effect. Yeah, I will say um, Bullseye, the, uh, it's another podcast with mm. Jesse Thorne, that they recently did an interview with Steve Coogan where he talked a bit about how as he got older, he had less interest in maybe the kind of sarcasm or the kind of more cynical humor that he's he kind of attributed to things that you're very interested in when you're coming up mm -hmm. which i would say and certainly he is as well that's uh defined a lot of those early i, I mean alan partridge is in a way the story of this which is that he said as he worked on like part of his reason for wanting to work on philomena which he wrote uh, and starred in is his desire to make something sincere and right. I think that this maybe the story of Alan Partridge is from going to perhaps starting at this more kind of easier target or like crueler, crueler sense of humor. And then as it goes along, this character becoming more and more human, you know, to the point where now with this movie, he's still a ridiculous character and he's still oblivious and narcissistic and desperate. But he is also deeply human. You know, he is a very fleshed out character. He's not just a uh, a kind of parody of this empty, bloviating uh, newscaster. You know, he's uh, someone who's had a full arc and at this point in his life is getting older and really struggling to hold on to his idea of who he is. Mm. And I, I think that the film does capture that very well. And, and yet still with a great laugh. Absolutely. So that is Alan Partridge, and uh, seems like we both two elbows up. I guess we both <laughs> we both enjoyed it quite a bit, and uh, that one is available for rent on Amazon and iTunes and a variety of other services and outlets. All right, let's wrap things up with our behind the eight ball segment. You know how it goes. We give you three new titles on streaming, two listener recommendations. And then we also give you one film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists on Netflix. Allison, you're going first on this episode. Are you ready with your uh, your new uh, new titles? I'm ready. All right. Well, uh, well, what are you waiting for? Just get started already. Fine. I will. All right. Three new titles. First off is The Great Beauty. This is available on Hulu Plus. It's this year's foreign language film Oscar winner from Paolo Sorrentino uh, about an aging socialite who once wrote a famous novel uh, only to retire to a cushy, decadent life in Rome. And he walks through the city uh, after his 65th birthday party and, you know, takes in the cinematic decadence and beauty that is Rome um, while reflecting on his life. And uh, that's through Criterion, by the way, who renewed their contract with Hulu. So 
Huzzah. Huzzah. Yes. If you um, were ever kind of wondering if you should pony up for the Hulu Plus fee, um, that might help you make that decision. Also new to streaming on Hulu, not Hulu Plus, is Meek's Cutoff. This is Kelly Reichert's 2010 Western. She has a new film out, Night, Night Moves, which is currently playing at the Tribeca Film Festival. Um, this is her last one, loosely based on something that happened on the Oregon Trail in the 1800s, in which a guide by the name of Stephen Meek led a wagon train off uh, into the Oregon desert. Not a great place to be, as you will see in the film, which stars Bruce Greenwood and Michelle Williams. But it's, a, it's an unusual Western that kind of makes you rethink a lot of the typical tropes of the genre. And new to Netflix is Time to Leave. This is the 2005 film from Francois Ozon, starring Melville Poupeau as a, a fashion photographer uh, who's in his 30s, gay, leading this fairly fabulous life when he finds out he's terminally ill and only has three months to leave and it's a live and it's about his his how he spends his last few months and it it's a beautiful film but it also is doesn't follow any of the kind of typical life-affirming beats that you might expect it's something very unique and individual about what he does and it's not always very nice he kind of prods at people and uh destroys his relationship uh, it's a really interesting and gorgeously made film. It's time to leave. It is new on Netflix. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? Okay, the first one is from Theo, who writes, Hey, Matt and Allison, long-time listener and first-time first recommender, Theo here, with a romantic comedy called The Five-Year Engagement, which is streaming on Hitless and available for rental everywhere else. I recommend it because it's one of only 15 romantic comedies I can stomach. And on top of that, it's a great, witty, charming, cute, and above all, laugh out loud, funny film. It stars Jason Siegel and Emily Blunt as a couple who get engaged and then, as the title suggests, let life get in the way of the altar. The supporting cast is stacked with now famous actors like Chris Pratt, Alison Brie, Chris Parnell, Kevin Hart, as well as Jackie Weaver and Ree Siphons. The film was penned by Siegel and Nicholas Stoller and directed by Stoller, who has also done such hilarious movies as Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Him to the Greek, and the two Muppet reboots. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. So that is the five-year engagement, uh, available for rent everywhere and streaming on Hitless. And second recommendation is from Phil, who writes, I noticed a recent French treat has appeared on Netflix in the UK. It's also in Netflix on Netflix in the US. It's a film from Régis Ronsard, a delightful little comedy called Populaire. It looks rather like Mad Men, but is really rather different as it's about international typing competitions. I really enjoyed this when it came out last year and look forward to revisiting it now that it's available to stream. It has Romain Dury in the lead role, which should be enough to get any fan of French cinema watching. Okay, how about your one film from your my list? <laughs> you gave me number 19, which is Midnight Express. Alan Parker's 1978 film about an American student sent to Turkish prison for trying to smuggle hash. Uh, cautionary tale. Don't smuggle hash out of Turkey. Doesn't work out well. Never seen it. Well, so. you've already learned the lesson, so why do you have to see it? I, I guess just see how bad it gets. <laughs> That's what I want to know. I need to be scared straight. All right, Matt, are you ready? Yes. Okay, three new picks. All right, first up, my favorite film of 2013, Short Term 12. It's finally available on uh, Netflix 
And this is the uh, film from writer-director Destin Critton. takes place in a foster home for troubled teens. Based on his uh, experiences working in a facility like this, it's a fabulous film. I, I think I've plugged it at least 300 times on the podcast uh, to date. Uh, I've, I like I loved the movie when I saw it for the first time right before South by Southwest last year. So that's now about 15 months or so that I've been talking about it. Hopefully this will be the last time. Now you have no excuse because it's streaming on Netflix. Please go watch it so I can finally stop bringing it up. Yeah, I, I second this recommendation, though. It's really great. It's an excellent, excellent film. Next up, available on Hulu Plus, is a, an excellent dance film. Uh, it's from Jody Lee Lipes. Actually, his latest film, his latest dance film, I should say, is playing uh, this week at Tribeca, which, Allison, you're in the middle of covering. You, I am. Have you gotten to see it yet? Yes, I have seen it. Is it good? It is good. It's um, I'll just mention this briefly. It's uh, a film about uh, a dancer and choreographer at the New York Ballet who and it shows his process as he makes a new dance which is never something is i'd it a ever documentary documentary okay. never something i'd thought about it's really fascinating and just as a look at the creative process in dance particularly okay that's called ballet 422 yes. and that's premiering at trebecca so we'll, that'll be coming to you at in some form in some way down the road but this film uh which is available now on hulu plus is his previous dance film which was co-directed actually by henry juiced who was one of the co-directors of catfish there's no catfishing in this movie, I can promise you that. It's called New York Export Opus Jazz. It's an adaptation of Jerome Robbins' 1958 Ballet in Sneakers. Uh, and it is basically the sort of update that, that Jody Lee Leipz and Henry Juice took, which is to take this ballet, take the choreography by Jerome Robbins, and instead of doing it on a stage, they take it out into the streets of New York City. So you're watching dancers doing these classic moves, but they're doing them in a gymnasium or by, like, the McCarran Pool or... On the High Line. The High Line. The best sequence is this absolutely beautiful duet on the High Line, which is, for for our non-New York listeners, the High Line is this sort of... It's been built up, but it's like this walkway on the on the west side. It's old raised tra- uh, railway tracks. Right. They sort of took these old yeah. raised railway tracks and made them into this sort of like uh, reclamation project where you can just walk along, and it's really beautiful. And this was sort of done right before they kind of reopened it. You know, they refurbished it, so there's kind of weeds, and it's it has this kind of beautiful decayed quality. I mean, it's at sunset. It's this beautiful duet. It's incredible. So it's only like an hour long, I think, the film. It is it is really, really wonderful. I really recommend it. That's New York Export Opus Jazz, available on Hulu+. Plus. And uh, finally, time for an embarrassing confession, Allison. I have never seen the 1993 horror movie Leprechaun. <gasps> mm. I've never seen Starring any- Jennifer Aniston? I know. I know. I've never even seen Leprechaun in the Hood. <laughs> I've never even seen Leprechaun back to the hood or back to the hood. I'm not sure How if it's duh or the in space. Nothing. It's my deepest and darkest shame. Allison. all these years I've hit it <laughs> at the end of a rainbow beneath a pot of gold, hoping no one would ever find it. And now it's exposed for all the world to see. But the good, <clears throat> the good news is Allison that I like the rest of the wor- world can now watch Leprechaun on Netflix. And I plan to. I plan to. Well, you have to be ready for Leprechaun Origins. That's right. <laughs> Coming soon, starring uh, 
I think one of the uh, uh, WWE wrestlers, right? I think it's a WWE <laughs> wrestler named Hornswoggle. He's like an <laughs> his gimmick is he's like oh, like an Irish. He's a he's a little person and he's a he's a wrestler and his name is Hornswoggle and now he's the new Leprechaun. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I believe you. But you're right. I do need to prepare. All right. Well, let's move on to two listener recommendations. Okay. This first one is from Chris. And he writes, I remember once in the early days of the podcast hearing Matt recommend the movie For All Mankind from the Criterion Collection as both a visual and scientific marvel on Hulu+. And with that in mind, I'd also want to recommend the recent reboot of Cosmos, hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. So far, we've only seen seven episodes in the current season, and at a little over the halfway point, this this show has been a mix of awe-inspiring and mind-blowing demonstrating scientific principles, theories, and history in an incredibly accessible way. The writing never talks down to the viewer, and it's also willing to explain many modern scientific ideas in a way that breaks it down step-by-step, making it easy to follow. The series is currently available to stream in high definition on Hulu+, Plus. you can also catch it on Fox uh, if you have a cable subscription, or on Hitbliss if you are part of the Amazon beta. That's from Chris... That is Cosmos, the new version of Cosmos. I haven't seen any of it yet. Allison, have you been watching Cosmos? I've watched some of it, and I've liked it, definitely. Mm. Uh, it sounds great. Actually, it, it sounds really, really good. It's something I need to I need to make time to at least watch. After Leprechaun, that's my plan. Right. Leprechaun 1. Priorities. Leprechaun in the Hood 2. Cosmos 3. Leprechaun back to the Hood 4. That's the, that's the ranking right now. I think that I think that makes sense. I like it. All right, my next recommendation. Speaking of the WWE, this is from uh, listener Primetime Paulie G. He says, "Hey, Allison and Matt, I just finished watching Warrior: The Ultimate Legend, an hour-long documentary released by the WWE last week on their new WWE Network. It was produced in about a week as a tribute to the Ultimate Warrior, the professional wrestler of the '80s and '90s, who died on April 8th." Less than 24 hours after appearing on Monday Night Raw for the first time since 1996. In fact, the documentary not only covers his wrestling career and his well-documented legal disputes with the WWE, but also contains lots of backstage footage and interviews with Warrior. And it's extremely surreal since you're aware that this was the final weekend of his life, and that was just two weeks ago. If any of your listeners are or ever were wrestling fans at some point, I highly recommend both the documentary and the WWE Network, which has a lot of great content, uh, uh, including new documentaries on other wrestlers and all of their old pay-per-views. I watched these on a tablet, which was great because I I was able to do a bunch of push-ups and planks while keeping my eyes on the screen. I know Warrior (laughs) would be proud. Well done. That's impressive. Impressive work. Yeah, th- this is a uh, – the movie is important to mention, but I think the WWE Network is kind of an impressive undertaking, It Allison. is. I was reading about it. Yes. It's, I think, $10 a month, and they you can watch all of their upcoming pay-per-views, like one a month, that you used to have to pay 60 bucks a month for. And they have their entire back catalog of all their old pay-per-views. So for me, as a kid who did grow up re- uh, watching wrestling, including The Ultimate Warrior – I was very sad to hear about his uh, his untimely death. That, that you know, he's a young guy. He was like fifty something. Yeah. Really, really sad after he had made this triumphant return to WrestleMania and Monday Night Raw. It's really a shame, but impressive that they have, you know, this whole network and also this kind of 
operation where in a week they can put together this tribute to him and, and put it on their network. And then I think they have a streaming component where you can watch what's airing on the network live, but then you can also at any point on demand watch their entire catalog, which is incredible. I mean, they're kind of ahead of the curve, really, from a lot really of networks. Are, and I think in 10 years, I think this is the model that a lot of, of networks are going to be following. Yeah, I think that TV especially is still catching up to the idea of putting archives online you know, uh, the early days of television are kind of famous in general for people losing things right. that are considered now incredibly valuable. Yeah, they used footage. to just reuse they, the tapes, yeah, the throw them tapes. away or not tape. <laughs> they would all. tape over them yes. the way you would tape over a movie. Like if you watch, you know, oh, I don't need to watch uh, Airheads, and uh, I'm going to retape over that. Right, they Except used that was to do the that only copy with the only copies they had. I know it's Incredible. crazy, and so the fact that the WWE has all of these back archives and understands that they Their have value value yeah. is certainly very forward thinking and impressive. Yeah. So for the wrestling fans out there in the uh, SVU audience, and I certainly would consider myself one of them going back to childhood. There you go. The WWE network might want to uh, look into that. And finally, before we get on to my, uh, my list pick, we did just want to uh, uh, give a mention here. We got a great email from Cameron in Australia I don't know why I'm calling it great. He was he, he took us to task, Allison, for uh, harsh, our recent harsh. episode, our last episode, which was our, our theme was sword fighting. He was very upset uh, that we did not mention uh, there can be only one sword fight movie, he says, and that movie is Highlander. Uh, this film has it all, he says, the brilliant premise, the completely mismatched accents, the kick-ass queen soundtrack, and, of course, the amazing sword fighting, not to mention the fact that it was directed by Australian Russell Mulcahy, who cut his feature teeth on Razorback and went on to direct Ricochet and one of the Resident Evil sequels, all of which I assumed would be right in Matt's wheelhouse. There's your three films for your next episode's Listener's Choice poll right there. He says, I was going to rip up my film spotting SVU membership card then and there, but I've decided to give you another chance if you'll go up to the top of your building and record the next episode while trying to cut each other's heads off with broadswords. I mean, we uh, already did that before we started this podcast, yes. so if only I'd known, we would have recorded it. We did it, and then, because we had to keep going, much like Highlander 2, The Quickening, we just ignored that that had happened, <laughs> and we just soldiered on. So our apologies to Cameron. Highlander is a, it's a fine sword-fighting movie. Uh, it's very silly. I do kind of enjoy it. I think we did even look it up just now, right? It's streaming on Hulu, yes. Hulu Plus. So we could have recommended it. We apologize. We just didn't. Yes, Film Spotting SVU regrets the error. <laughs> All right. Well, one film from your my list. You gave me number 81, which this time was Breezy. Breezy, B-R-E-E-Z-Y. That's Clint Eastwood's third film as a director, after Play Misty for Me and High Plains Drifter, one of his more obscure titles, actually, the plot description reads, Free-spirited Breezy gets into serious trouble when she meets a man who tries to take advantage of her, giving her plenty of reason to get rooted, whatever that means. Uh, the the stars are William Holden and Kay Lenz. I've heard great things about this this movie from my friends who are Eastwood auteurists who really, really enjoy the, the, Clint, the Clint Eastwood experience. Allison's... Yeah grimacing and shaking her head <laughs> she's not into the clint eastwood experience well not certainly not the kind of the apologetics that have gone on sometimes yes there's been some of that i suppose and i'm not as big a, a clint eastwood fan as as some of these colleagues but nonetheless uh i i have added breezy to my my list and 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 so it's sitting way at the bottom there down at number 81 
So I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hoping at some point one of these days to get a, a look at it. All right. Well, that brings us to our listener's choice section in which we offer up three picks for you, the listener, to vote on for our main review in the next episode. And we have uh, a mix here, but they're all mostly recent films. Fairly recent. Yes. Apologies to uh to Cameron, we're not doing the uh, the Russell Mulcahy trilogy this time. Maybe next this time. time. I, yeah, honestly, with availability, we'd have to check on it. But I would love that. <laughs> that would be great. That would be pretty impressive. But another time. This time, we're going to start off with this first option. It's available on Netflix. It's Insidious Chapter 2. This is not a very d- dark remake of Neil Simon's 1977 play Chapter 2. No, no. It is a sequel to the horror movie Insidious from 2010. Directed by James Wan and written by uh, Lee Wannell, the men who were also responsible for the Saw franchise, at least uh, in its early phases. Insidious was their first haunted house movie. Uh, It had some notable twists. I found it very scary and effective. Allison, did you see Insidious? Did you I like did, it? and I thought it was very scary. Yeah, it was a good movie. I honestly don't know that much about the sequel. I've kind of avoided too many details. That's fine by me. I, I, I don't really want to know. What I know is Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne, who are in the first movie, are in this one. And it's directed by James Wan again, and it's written by Lee uh, Wannell again. So the, the important people are back. And uh, that's pretty much all I need to know. And I, I, I have this actually way up on my my list. This one is, is up there in the top five or ten for me because I've been meaning to check it out. So, yeah, this would be a strong one for me. I'd be very happy to watch this one. It's Insidious Chapter 2, streaming now on Netflix. All right. Well, the next one would be a strong one for me. It is Joe, which is available for rents via the usual outlets. This is the most recent film from the recently fairly prolific David Gordon Green. This uh, the film stars Nicolas Cage as Joe Ransom. I play Joe. Such a good name, Joe Ransom. Joe Ransom. Yeah, um, it, it reminds you of the type of film where you know it's called Sabotage, and then the main character will be called Joe Mark's, Sabotage. Mark Sabotage. <laughs> um, anyway, Joe is an ex-con who ends up befriending and mentoring a teenager played by Ty Sheridan from the film mud uh most recently who's great in that and this uh film has been cited as a reminder that nicholas cage doesn't always have to be a scenery chewing weirdo of an actor he Not can actually always. be a really great but it's actor. kind of fun when i am exactly um also recent this this film was the reason that uh, nicholas cage and david gordon green did a talk at south by southwest this year uh, you can find notes from it at a lot of different sites, but it's really interesting. Uh, Cage actually makes a pretty good case for himself. Yes, he does. Even though he um, he cites uh, The Wicker Man as his favorite performance of his. As well he should. Is something that I think some people might argue with him about. <laughs> but that's for them to decide. Um, but that is Joe. It's available for rent. Yeah, that would be that's a, that's a I haven't seen that one yet. And, you know, it's on the list also of movies I've got to I've got to watch uh, certainly before the end of the year. So uh, I'll be very happy to watch that one as well. Uh, this last one I would be happy to watch also. I've already seen it. So I know I would enjoy seeing it again because I liked it the first time. It's called The Past. It's also available for rental on a variety of sites, including Amazon and iTunes. It's the latest film from Asghar Farhadi, who wrote and directed A Separation, which won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar a few years ago. And this is his follow-up. It's a kind of a similar film. It's a domestic drama. 
and it stars Bernice uh, Bejo from The Artist and Tahar Rahim from A Prophet. So you have some excellent actors. And it's about this very complex family, uh, the, the Bernice Bejo character. She's this woman. She's essentially trying to divorce her husband so she can marry another man. But there are all of these intricacies. It's very complicated. And, uh, you know, as the title suggests, there are these secrets from the past that come to light. And I saw this movie at the end of last year, and I thought it was very good. I think it kind of got buried. It, it just didn't. did. I mean, you know, given that A Separation was, I, that was one of my favorite films sure, mine from too. that year. It's amazing that this kind of came out and then no one talked about it. Yeah, I think I think it was a, a matter of, you know, it was similar to a separation, but not quite as good. And I, I, I certainly wouldn't, uh, I certainly wouldn't claim it was as good as uh, a separation, but you know, it was still really good. It's like saying, you know, like, Oh, this Chipotle burrito isn't as good as my meal at like, uh, you know, like a Rick Bayless restaurant. I still really like the Chipotle burrito. <laughs> it just wasn't, you know, the five star meal. You know what I mean? Like it was still very satisfying. So, uh, you haven't seen this one. I have not. So, so for Allison, it would be the first time for me. I would uh, happily watch it again. I thought it was an excellent film. That's the past, and it's available for rent on Amazon, iTunes, and a bunch of other places. All right. Well, which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, April 28th at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, at FilmSpottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Tuesday, May 6th. Film Spotting SVU is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we've discussed on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer, and you can follow the show at Filmspotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you, the SVU listeners. And don't forget to keep sending those uh, listener recommendations to us at our email address, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. And for Filmspotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.